I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that, it will be e- so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch. He is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. In the first part of John 15, Jesus describes himself as the true vine and says that we, as his disciples, we are branches in that vine. He tells us to do three things. He gives us three imperatives. Firstly, in John chapter 50, verse 4, we're told to remain in him. The second imperative is like the first and explains it to some extent. We are to remain in his love, chapter 15, verse 9. And the third commandment builds on the first two. We are to love each other. Three priorities. Passage also mentions things like bearing fruit, praying, doing what he says, being his disciples, letting his word abide in us. These are all practical outworkings of these three imperatives. But if we concentrate on the big three, the others will follow. We will bear much fruit if we remain in him and he remains in us. Remaining in him is crucial because apart from him, we can do absolutely nothing, as Jack said at the start of the service. A branch of the vine is incapable of bearing fruit if it doesn't remain in the vine. But if it does remain in the vine, it will naturally bear fruit, particularly if the gardener prunes it properly. So our priority must be to remain in Christ, to abide in Christ. And if we abide in Christ, then we will bear fruit. And that bearing of fruit will demonstrate that we are his disciples. If we abide in Christ and his words abide in us, then our prayers will be answered. So whatever else abiding in Christ might mean, it entails communication. He has stuff he wants to say to us. And if we've received his word and allowed it to lodge in our hearts, then when it's our turn to speak and we bring to him our prayers, he will give us what we ask for. But it starts with listening on our part. That conscious stillness waiting on Jesus and his word, aware that we are in his presence. And if we allow Jesus' words to rest in our hearts, then his word will shape and mould our desires so that when we come to say what's on our hearts, we speak out of our heart whose desires have already been shaped and moulded by Christ's word within us. 
And that means what we want coincides more and more with the heart and mind of Christ. That is the outworking of allowing his word dwelling place within our hearts. That will mean spending time with his word. And as we've already heard this morning, there are many different ways in which you can do that. But without spending time with the word of God, it could be very difficult consciously to abide in Christ. There's no single way of doing that that's right for everyone, but everyone ought to do it in a way that's right for them. It's the important part of abiding in Christ. But Jesus also talks about abiding in his love. That's the whole basis of our relationship with Christ. He loves us first, and we are invited to accept his love and to continue to do so. That has practical implications, because if we're serious about abiding in the love of Christ, that will entail an element of doing what he says. You can't abide in the love of Christ and at the same time ignore his purpose for your life and how he wants you to live for him on a daily basis. So a simple part of welcoming his love is reading his word and putting it into practice. But, and I can't emphasise this enough, it's the relationship of love which is primary. Reading his word, doing what he says, these are responses on our part to his love for us which comes first. Because that loving relationship is the key to everything else. If you know and understand and accept just how much Jesus loves you, then everything else will flow out of your response to that love which he has for you. And how much does Jesus love you? He gives us two measures. He says, firstly, there is no greater love than that shown when someone lays down his life for their friends. You're my friends, he says, if you do as I say. We are his friends because he laid down his life to reconcile us to himself, to establish that relationship with us in the first place. So the greatest love known to humanity is the love that Christ has for you, that he has laid down his life for you. That's how much he loves you. And the second measure is that he loves us the same way that the Father loved him. That's powerful stuff. The eternal love between the Father and the Son, the love that is the source and origin of all the love of the universe, Christ loves you with that love. Loving you as the Father loved him. And correspondingly, saying that we should love each other as he has loved us. It's a love that cascades from from the Father to the Son, from the Son to us, and from each of us to those around us, and from all of us out into the world. What kind of love is this? It's a constant, steadfast love that never wavers and is sacrificial to the point of laying down one's life for the one that is loved. These three imperatives all belong together. Our priority is to abide in Christ. That means abiding in his love and the outcome of that will be that his love for us, which comes to us from the Father, will in turn be passed on to one another. That's what bearing fruit is ultimately all about. It's about the love that we have for each other. Abiding in Christ abiding in his love, loving each other. These three things aren't too hard to remember, nor by the grace of Christ are they too difficult to do. They also constitute our identity. They are fundamental definitions of who we are. We are people who belong to Christ. We are people who are loved by Christ. We are people in relationships of love with one another. And it's important that we remember that at the start of Dementia Awareness Week. The comments I'm going to make are going to be tailored specifically to dementia or Alzheimer's or memory loss, but equally they are applicable by extension to any one of us at any time of extreme vulnerability. Who we are is people who abide in Christ, who are loved by Christ in relationships of love with one another. 
In a really helpful article on ageing dementia in the faith community, John McFadden makes the point that in our era, selfhood is almost exclusively associated with cognition. I think, therefore I am. Cognition is essential to the abilities we've been taught, give our lives worth and meaning, productivity, autonomy, independence, etc. And dementia is the most feared illness among persons over the age of 65 because it threatens our identity as selves and our role as productive, contributing members of the community. But Christians have a different story to tell about what gives our lives worth, value and meaning. Personhood is not defined by our cognitive abilities, but rather by our relationship with others. And God remains in a faithful relationship with us all in all circumstances and conditions. God's goodness can be experienced within the reality of cognitive loss. Some question about whether persons with dementia could continue to live their faith. Some question whether persons with dementia could continue to live their faith if they are no longer able to remember God. They can, because faith is not dependent upon individual memories or cognitive ability. If we should forget God, God will not forget us. And if we forget God, our community of faith can remember us to God and bring God's presence into our lives through means that do not require us to grasp that presence cognitively with our minds. He also makes the point that the school of the Sisters of Notre Dame demonstrate the difference that these kind of loving relationships can make. The Sisters seem to experience the symptoms of dementia at an extraordinarily low rate, even though brain autopsies performed after death show the same level of Alzheimer's as anybody else. Many factors contribute to this. They are in a teaching order, so life is constantly marked by intellectual stimulation. They eat a healthy diet and exercise regularly. Their daily life is marked by structure and ritual. They share bonds of loving support. Their lives are centred in God rather than in themselves. In other words, their lives are deeply relational, with strong connections to God, to other people, and to the created order. And while there may be loss in an individual's memory, as there is to some degree for us all, the collective memory shared by the community enfolds them in a manner that helps to compensate for the individual loss. In other words, the church and the loving relationships within the church are the means by which people can experience being held within the love of Christ and can abide in him even when they are losing their own individual cognitive ability. If we suffer from a loss of memory, does that mean that God stops loving us? Most certainly not. We continue to be securely held within the love of Christ. Consciously or not, we continue to abide within the love of Christ. Our relationship with God can be the one stable constant in our lives. The love of other people may waver and disappear, but God's love never changes. We may lose our memory, even the sense of our own identity, but if who we are is ultimately defined by our relationship with God, then even if we lose our memory, that doesn't mean to say that we are lost to him. Even death itself, the ultimate separation from consciousness and this physical body and everyone who knows and loves us, not even death itself can separate us from the love of God. And that is the basis for our hope of a life beyond this one, a life that is free from physical, emotional and mental trauma and illness. There can be nothing more important than abiding in Christ and in his love because that love for us is eternal 
and is the basis for our own continued and existence and identity through dementia, if that is the direction our life takes, and beyond the grave, and death awaits us all. Abiding in Christ, abiding in his love. For ourselves, there is no more important thing that we can do. And for others, those struggling with life or struggling with memory loss, there is no more important thing that we can do for them, but love them with the love with which Christ has already loved us. And crucially as well, to love those who are on the front line of living with those dementia, so that while they may not get much love back from those they are caring for and who used to love them, they know that they are still held in loving, strong, secure relationships within the body of Christ. And that's really important. Those relationships can still be a source of unexpected joy. People struggling with with how they think are still able to experience lots of things on an emotional level, and maybe even more intensely so. People still have the capacity to experience moments of joy and it's on Jesus' heart for them as it is for us all. When he says to his disciples, I've said this to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. When we are with people who are struggling with life in various ways, one of the things we can learn how to do is to be present with them in ways that they can experience through us a sense of comfort, joy and freedom from anxiety. In the absence of clear cognition, we are still capable of experiencing these emotions moment by moment. So as we abide in Christ, as we abide in his love, that will be worked out in loving each other and granting those whom we love a sense of how they abide in Christ and abide in his love. Giving them a sense of being in Christ and his love when all other sources of security have been stripped away. And the time to do that is now. It's easy for us when we're feeling vulnerable to retreat into memories of the past or to live our lives in fear of the future. But the present moment is the moment when we are in the presence of Christ, in the presence of his love, and we have the opportunity to communicate that love to others. That is the key to how we should live at every moment in the consciousness and awareness that we are in Christ in his love, and called to communicate that love to others. It's not just this morning in church, but this afternoon at home, tomorrow at work. Abide in Christ. Abide in his love. Love one another. Let these three imperatives define not just how you live, but who you are every single moment and for eternity.